Um, there's no real way to hide it because doctrine is not very warm and fuzzy. Like just the thought of the name as you're saying it in your head right now. You're like, oh, well, that's going to be nice. So um, it's hard to make something like this light and, you know, throw in the odd joke. Um, but it is so essential for us uh, that we don't step back from this and that we get our beliefs in order. Because doctrine, and I want this to be your thinking uh, as we explore it this morning, is actually about how we live and how we relate. So don't think fusty old book reading, keeping it all in your head, although that stuff's great. Elisa's not here and she's totally into it. So Elise, that's for you. Um, but I want you to think about it's how we live and how we relate. So it's really just like breathing. So you know breathing? Breathing happens. We do it all the time. You don't program yourself to do it. It just happens. Same with doctrine. Doctrine exists. It's with us all the time. It happens regardless of how conscious you are of it and how much you understand it. So now, um, you know, we've discovered there's better ways to breathe. Uh, less shallow ways to breathe, less just mouth breathing, which um, is one of my terrible habits. And now we know more about um, connections between our nose and our lungs. But actually, you can get by on mouth breathing just fine. It'll be fine. Doctrine's the same. It can be done well. It can be done right. You can allow it to go deeper in you. You can allow it to permeate your body and bring life. But you can still, if you'd like, keep it shallow. Keep it disconnected. It's going to be okay. You can tap into it or not. And if you choose not to, your Christian walk will be actually fine. But if you choose to explore it and apply it, it'll bring life in all its fullness. And it's totally worth it. The, the triune being of God, Michael Reeves says, and this is a great book called The Good God, a nice small book. That's how Sam pitched it to me. Read this. It's short. You'll love it. So the triune being of God is the vital oxygen of Christian life and joy. And you may not have had that thought ever before in your life. So pastorally, uh, when it comes to doctrine, and especially on a day called Trinity Sunday, it's really tempting I want to explain everything to you, everything, uh, because I've almost read everything, and I still don't know if I have it all sorted. So I want to get down to some nitty-gritty, and I want to get to that point of total, absolute understanding so that you walk away with something really tangible, a really concrete takeaway, and that you can kind of peel back the mystery and the layers uh, but unfortunately, due to the impossibility of the task and the limit of the time and the fact that I know what happens in those rooms and where things go wonky and the fact that you don't have your sleeping bags with you, we're just going to make two points. Number one point, your perception of the doctrine of the Trinity will shape your view on God. Number two, your doctrine, rightly or wrongly, then will impact your relationship with God. As A.W. Tozer said, and he said this much better, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshipper entertains high or low thoughts of God. He goes on to say, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. What do you in your deep heart, when no one else knows, what do you conceive your God to be like? 
So let's give it, you know, let's call it a given. We all have doctrine. We all carry it around with us. We all have a set of beliefs that define how we live. And that is why doctrine is important because we actually internalize it. And it shapes us and forms us and it fashions, as Tozer said, our view of God. So I want to move us today from some kind of detached view to an actual livable theory. And we're going to use some fancy words. The first fancy word is orthodoxy, which just means right belief. And then orthopraxy, which just means right practice. There'll be a test at the end. That's question one. So let's get our orthodoxy sorted out and get our doctrine clear. So here's our basic starting definition for you for the doctrine of the Trinity. Quite simple. The three persons of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and acknowledging that they equally share one divine nature. Just like it took me 2,000 words to explain that in an essay. These are the issues, oneness and unity, unity and distinction, life from, life through, and life by. This is the Trinity. There's a fancy diagram which explains all the things the Trinity is not, and then all the things the Trinity is, and you'll notice they're all connected to each other in the same way. But the point is this, God reveals himself this way. This is how he chooses to reveal himself, so it's our job to get our head around it. He's eternal. Luckily for us, he's also personal. I'm going to post this up later on our page so that you can spend the whole afternoon meditating on where those lines are going and not going. Uh, If that's all a bit too much for you, there's a wee uh, snap prayer, which I have learnt from some of our children, Team Bay Junior. Some of our kids go to St. Pat's school. They're totally down with the Trinity. It's not an issue for them whatsoever. And this is the snap prayer. It's up on the screen. I can't snap and microphone and multitask at the same time. And even without a microphone, I can't do it. But they do this when we have Kai, and it involves a lot of this movement. Um, I really should get Pip Drager up here, because she's probably the source of all of these things. But they say this without even batting an eyelid. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost has the one we love the most. He's hip, he's cool, he's quite the dude. We thank you, God, for our daily food. Now it's time to raise a toast to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh, that upset Liam. Amen. But it's a lot of this stuff. And I remember the first time I heard that, I said, sorry, what? What are you saying in there? But they were like, this is who we talk to. Because I think what's happened for us as a largely Protestant um, church is that we've moved away because we're so careful about relationship and we're so careful about being authentic and knowing that we've lost some of the the doctrine, some of the orthodoxy around uh, who the Trinity is. So if everything else falls apart this morning, that's it, right there. If the diagram didn't do it for you, the snap prayer will help it. So I want to talk to you about the heresies, which is not something we normally preach from the front in church. It's not good to be heretical. Uh, So the heresies around the doctrine of the Trinity give us indications where our thinking has gone wrong, and our thinking does go wrong. And if we don't confront it, we build a whole little system on wrong thinking. So I want to give you a chance to reflect this morning on why you think you've fallen into these heretical, I really can't say the word, heretical. Yeah, no, but you don't run up to it that way. Heretical traps. Uh, Why that we sometimes minimize God and why we sometimes distance him and why we have these misplaced attitudes and why worse than that we limit him and then distance our relationship. And I know the word heresy has actually been thrown around so much more recently, but it actually means wrong thinking. It's not I don't agree with you and it's not my opinion's different from you and it's not I see that at a different angle. That's totally fine. We should be doing that all the time. Heresy is wrong thinking, which is why I want to bring us back to orthodoxy. 
So, but I want to look at the heresies, not to be negative and have a wee negative party about stuff that we're not, you know, thinking right. But I want it to point us to what's wrong within ourselves and get us to think about it. At this point, I'd put in my notes, maybe you should do a joke, Charlotte, like three guys walk into a bar. But I haven't quite got the Trinity (laughs) joke around that. Uh, So if you're still with me, uh, heresy number one is called adoptionism. So we're getting big time orthodoxy now, peoples. But it's so important. Just think beyond the big words and the big concepts and think, is this something that I'm doing in my heart and my mind as I see God differently? So if you're going around talking about the big word of adoptionism, what you're really saying is Jesus and the Spirit are less than the Father. So there's where your trinity's gone a little bit wrong. But that's really saying Jesus is removed so he's not a rival to the Father, which is broken relationship. Or Jesus is viewed as an ordinary man and he just did really super well, got a certificate, and they made him part of the divinity. So instantly, we've taken Jesus down from his place as God, and we've made it about striving and doing super well. Anyone struggled in their faith with that? Striving and doing super well will get you into relationship. The main problem with adoptionism is that Jesus becomes a human just like us, and a human can't save us. He's not the reigning and ruling king of the universe. We know that is true. We know that Jesus, as God, shared in our humanity and came to redeem and save us. Our entire faith hinges on that. So when we fall into adoptionism, and these were established heresies that were happening at the time of um, the councils putting together what were our statements about Trinity, when we fall into that, we no longer give Jesus that ability to save, and we no longer share in that aspect of his humanity. So if we fall into this heresy, we say we don't have grace, we don't have hope, and we are without a saviour. So it's really crucial. Now, you may not be walking around feeling that amount of that feeling, but a small part of you may think, well, I don't quite know where Jesus sits. Or, you know, maybe he was a good guy. Maybe he did super well. Maybe if I do super well. It's really unhelpful, this misperception, because it creates further distance from the Father. Because if Jesus can't get up there... How am I going to get up there? And if Jesus is just some guy, then we're in a lot of trouble. Think again to the um, toes of quote, how we view God is how we relate to him and what is at our source. The second one is a great long word called subordinationism. And subordinationism suggests that you can rank Jesus in the spirit. So Jesus and the spirit are a low rank and God is in the top position. So really similar to the first one, but it means that they are inferior. And so the Trinity becomes a hierarchy. There's a sequential order to what goes on. It's really easy to do because if you've had bad experience with the Holy Spirit or you're not finding it easy to connect with Jesus, a far off God is quite safe. But if we have a hierarchy, we don't see them as all God. It's like you phone through to Jesus. Hi, Jesus. It's Charlotte here. I just wanted to see if God was available, if I could just leave a message for him. Or perhaps if the Holy Spirit wasn't busy, that he might be available next week, like just between the hours of three and four. But not too much, because I don't want too much. It's like we can't get put through to the right people, and we just sit for whoever is available. So Arianism is number three, and it's where Jesus is considered to be like God, but he's not really eternal, and he's not actually uncreated. Basically, it's a God with limits. This may be another thing that you have internalized for yourself, that your God has limits. And he's God's first and greatest creature, but he's kind of subordinate to the Father. We can do this in our thinking. We can reduce Jesus. We can say, well, he's perfect, but he's no God. 
We need God. We don't need a creature. We need our glorified King. We need our Lord and our Saviour. And the fourth one is modalism. This is, I'll put up a little video later on, in which you will always say modalism with an Irish accent after this. Modalism protects the oneness of God by viewing the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as three separate modes. This is the easiest trap to fall into. And this is kind of, we see God as being these three different things, turning up at different times, different reasons to do different things. So the problem is that, is that it hides the deep truth about God. It hides the fact that God can do incredible, magnificent, not making much sense to us, wonderful things. And they keep, those modes keep God trapped in our limited understanding. It's like he goes into the dress-up box and he puts on a wee costume and he goes off to do that job, but just separate, and then comes back, gets changed again and goes and does something else for someone else. And I think this is the most tempting of the heresies to lean into because we understand modes. We ourselves take on various roles. In one moment, I can be mother, daughter, wife, and still Charlotte. But what the modes do for our view of God is that he's, um, he's less personal, he's less real, he's less challenging, and we've put him in a box. And if there's one thing we know about our God, in whatever form, he is not going to fit into a box. And we say, if we start saying he looks like this or he's similar to that, we have contained him. And we have made our God compartmentalized to do what we need him to do whenever. And this heresy can be our go-to when we struggle to contain wonder and mystery. Wonder and mystery are so important to our faith. As children, we accept wonder and mystery so easily. As adults, we want to pin that thing down and get it sorted and make it make sense. Our God doesn't make, not make sense in order to frustrate us. He is more than we will ever know. And it's very lucky that he's bigger than us. Otherwise, it's on us. And that's a scary thought. Uh, the fifth one is Sam's helpful input. And this is... <laughs> If you can't see it, it says there is no metaphor for the Trinity that doesn't fall into a heresy. Whatever you think of can fall into a heresy. And an intellectual photo is uh, the fact that KFC, Pizza Hut and Taco Bell are part of the same organisation, but three different representations at one time. Possibly modalism, possibly. <laughs> you could argue that. But that's another image if that all got too much for you. If you try and think of metaphors, it will do your head in, but also a fun activity for a wet afternoon. <laughs> so all of this to say, we can be easily misguided, we can be easily limited, and we can build our own little ideas around what we think the Trinity is, and therefore we can see God and have our perceptions of him and our relationship with him in whatever way we like. But unfortunately, we do this from our own hurt and our own disappointment and our fact that we just want life to be a whole lot more simple. So I want you to think about something that you may have done or misconstructed based on those heresies. I want you to start thinking about in what ways you have limited the Trinity in your life or the fact that you may never have thought about the Trinity in your life. I want you to think about one aspect of God that you may have chosen in preference to others because of hurt in your life. It is very easy to be hurt by church. It is very easy to be hurt by different moves and, and waves of things coming through and therefore to distance ourselves. Or maybe it's been easier for you to see God wearing different masks. You're okay with God the Father as long as he keeps his distance. Thank you very much. But you're not going to have much of the Holy Spirit because that gets a little weird. Or maybe you'd prefer it if these aspects of God were unavailable because you just want to be a Jesus follower. You want to hold everyone else at arm's length. 
The one we are following is Trinitarianism. That is not a heresy. That is the doctrine of the Trinity. And that's the one we're going to go with. That's the one that says God is a triune God and he exists as three distinct and equal persons. This is not God with three faces. This is not three gods. This is not three gods separately busy at work. This is instead one divine substance, one power, and one eternity. There are no separated roles, no subsets, no hierarchy, only unity, and most importantly, love. In this instance, one plus one plus one does in fact equal one. Well done. That was the second question on the test, and you're doing well. So understanding these heresies helps us to see why the doctrine of the Trinity is needed and why the best way to describe God is the God revealed to us in Scripture. Our God from the beginning is a complete God of unity, love, relationship, connection, and total completion. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Nothing, um, Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And later in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, for in Christ is all the fullness of the deity living in bodily form. This is so beautifully captured for me in the image of Jesus' baptism. I'm going to show you two um, artworks, we art history lesson inserted into here. The first one is called The Baptism of Christ, and it's by Francesco Trevisiani. And Francesco was painting kind of late 1600s, early 1700s. This is a classical kind of depiction of the baptism of Christ. It's from the Baroque period. So you're going to see lots of movement, lots of richness of color. And what it's trying to do is it draws you in and around. So you can see John the Baptist, and he's doing the baptizing of Jesus. But above him is the dove, representing the Holy Spirit. God's up in heaven. He's kind of managing all of that from there. But in that line, we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A later depiction is one of my personal favorite pieces of art ever from 1999, and it's by an artist called Case Bruin. This is the drawing, kind of the pre-drawing for um, the painting. He's a visionary super realism, so he likes to take kind of historical pictures and insert them like this is in Sumner Beach. Uh, with the Kaikoura Rangers in the background, I think. So this is the same idea that God is breaking through in that moment. The Holy Spirit is present, and Jesus is there being recognized as the Son. That is an image of the Trinity. And what that says in this really profound moment is all aspects of the Trinity are active, they're unified, and they're clearly in relationship. Jesus, as he emerges from the water, with the Spirit descending on him, and then the voice from heaven, the Father acknowledging the Son, confirming his identity, and sharing in the love. We are also encouraged later by Jesus' words in Matthew 28 to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into this Trinity. We belong to this relationship. Because of the doctrine of the Trinity, we have an accessible creator God who is loving and personal and in pursuit of relationship with us through redemption and restoration. We are not forgotten. We are invited and included and empowered and comforted. And this is a story that is actually a relational story right from the very beginning. The Trinity is central to the gospel because it is who God is. Michael Reeves again says this, God is love because God is a trinity. 
everything we know hangs on this. This is a God who wants to be known and can be known. The people of Israel had known gods that were not personal, not relational, and you couldn't know them. The Trinity not only helps us to know who he is, it helps us to understand that he wants to be in love relationship with us because God's love exists in the Trinity. There's a little community happening in there itself, and he wants that to be mirrored for us in our worship, in our words, and in our actions. That's our orthopraxy. We are received into this Trinity and invited to model the same to others. So when you think Trinity, think love, think unity, think community, think being as one, and then apply this to within yourself. Love yourself. Build connections and wholeness within yourself, within your families, within your sense of togetherness in your communities, and together here as Bay Vineyard Church. With the Trinity as our lens, we can know the full truth of the gospel message. We can see God at work in our lives and understand that there's been a momentum, there's been a rescue plan, there's been a narrative of grace with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and restoration throughout all of Scripture. So the doctrine of the Trinity, I'd love to not just be a mysterious theological idea for you anymore. I want it to be the thing that tells your story, what you believe and who we believe. There is power in those words of the creed that we sing. They've been sung for hundreds of years by Christians. It is a story that's active. So we internalize it and then we live it out. It's God revealed and engaged with our world. We have a creator God, Jesus is our saviour, and a completed Holy Spirit that was left to be our comfort. The Trinity is ultimately God's involvement in the world to the furthest extent. He came for us. Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians that if we want to know the Father's heart, we are to look to Jesus. Jesus reveals everything we need to know about God. Jesus is our way of understanding God, and it follows that Jesus is our model of how then we live. Paul makes the theology of the Trinity really practical as we wrestle with how to live all of this out. He tells us to see it in our prayer life, to see it in the language of our worship, and this is what he teaches. The revelation of an approachable triune God is a God of love, and this will shape our ongoing relationship with God. Jesus prays for us in John's gospel using a clear pattern of the Trinity's desired aspect on us as Christians. He says these words in John 17, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. That's us. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We are invited into this example of community and love and relationship. There's a really amazing, amazing theologian called Callistos Weir. He's an Orthodox theologian, and his quote is this. Made after the image of the Trinity, human beings are called to reproduce on earth the mystery of mutual love that the Trinity lives in heaven into each social unit, the family, the school, the workshop, the parish, the church universal, is to be made an icon of the triunity. Because we know that God is three in one, each of us is committed to live sacrificially in and for the other. Each is committed to live a life of practical service and of active compassion. So why, may you ask, has the doctrine gone to my heart instead of just my head? And this became so true for me at camp. I handed my assignment in a couple of days before camp started, and I had really wrestled with some 
a theology that I tried to understand. And I was quite um, kind of disturbed by it because it didn't sit comfortably with me. Sam mentioned a theologian called Cherith V. Nordling a few weeks ago. And I was listening to her talk about the Trinity. And she just kind of mentioned the metaphor of the fact that you can just pull up a chair to the table and sit with the Trinity. And my first instinctive thought was, no, you can't, because it's three, and then there would be four. And just mathematically, that's wrong. But I think more than that, I was challenged by the table imagery because I thought I can't be there. I know that the Trinity is this far off, totally difficult to understand, magical, mystical thing, and that belongs to God and all his three person heads, and that I wasn't to be part of that. And I was so annoyed, I was very convinced she was very wrong. And I like to start with being sure that people are wrong and then kind of work backwards. (laughs) And so because... All of that had just got a bit overly familiar. Her language felt overly familiar for me. And I thought, could I be a fourth seat at the table of the Trinity? Would that be okay? Would it not become the quadrinity and I'd mess with the whole universe order? And I realized that I had some personal heresies in my own life that needed some work because I'm super comfortable with Jesus. I'm a massive fan of Jesus, his words, his life, his model, the fact that he's my rescuer and he's my savior and he's my Lord. I am really okay and in tight relationship with Jesus. But I am wary of the Holy Spirit, not probably him personally, but the way I've seen him played out and used and worked out in the church. And I'm still a little shy of just how much distance I want between me and the Holy Spirit for fear of what the Holy Spirit may do or not do, which can be just as bad. And I haven't got a fully transformed, like Jim was saying before, a fully transformed thinking in my mind about where the Holy Spirit fits. And I'm okay with God the Father, but he's a long way off at times. And I love him being a long way off because I see him like in a wee office being quite busy. He's got to-do lists and he's got multiple computer screens and he's managing the whole thing. Guess what movie I've watched too much of. But I love the fact that because that's my God in control. I'm okay. I'm happy to talk to three of the people to get put through to him on the phone. I'm totally fine with submitting to his authority, being a slightly fearful person of him, but I haven't pictured him lifting up his garments and running down that road for me. But I very much know he rules the world. So I was really challenged by this. And I I hate that thought when you get challenged by something that unsettles everything. So I talked a bit about the fact that I didn't quite like how this was going. So I felt confronted. I thought I'd give it some time and I'd mull over it. And I went to camp. And then Otto, on the last day of camp, shared a word mostly with you guys and not me because I wasn't in the room. But he had a prophetic word for me. And it just ever so casually started with this. I saw he created a space for you to enter in, and that space had four chairs and a table. (laughs) And as soon as you sat down, the other three chairs were occupied by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now, I've known Otto over the years, but it's not in a talking way. We hadn't talked about this. I talked to Luke and Sam about my conundrum about four chairs. I talked mostly to myself and Jesus about what on earth I was going to make of this and why I was challenged by it. Had not mentioned it. I mean, so I have mentioned it too the Trinity, so I guess that's the problem, but I hadn't said it out loud, and I was still bordering on the fact that she wasn't right, this theologian, it was still, I was still pretty sure she was wrong, and this word just casually started with that, which blew my mind, and I bumped into Otto as we were packing up, and he said, oh, I just, I gave a wee encouraging word to you this morning, you'll hear it at some point, but I saw Luke, and then I saw Sam being like, there's a word for you, and you should probably hear it, because it's got the thing at the start of it, and I had no idea that was coming for me, 
But it meant, the word meant for me is that I get to partake. I get to ask for what I need. I get to come before him and sit down and there he as three and one is there. And I listened to that word a lot because it was a wee bit too freakily close to ignore. It was a signal for me that it was a word in season, that I had more to learn about this triune God, even though I wanted to suggest to that triune God I'd just done a 2,000 word essay on him. But it did something that moved my thinking to my heart. And in that very vulnerable space, I started to have the conversation that said, oh, you mean you'd actually be there? for me. You'd put a chair out for me. You'd actually say, what do you need? What's happening? You'd all be there. Not in a different order, not wearing different hats, not sitting further back in case you freaked me out, but all just sitting at my table. And I work every day at my kitchen table. And I look at the chairs at my table and I have prayed different prayers because of this revelation. I have prayed close prayers. God is right there. The Holy Spirit is right there. Totally fine. Not always out of control. Jesus is right there. And I'm allowed to be there. We are allowed at the table. Our faith is so much about being at the table. There is an invitation, but you're actually allowed there. The Trinity is not some mind-bending, far-off thing that you are going to learn about one day on the other side. It's real right now. It is present. You have God's attention. He is a God of relationship and love, and he comes in community to show you that there is a place for you. He is available, and he is up close. It is comforting to me and a reminder to me. I have God's attention. I have his love. I am in relationship with him, and he is present. Some of you may find that very hard to accept. Doctrine may feel very dry for you, or the reality of life under the Trinity is an empty thought. But think these words through once again from Michael Reeves. What is your Christian life like? What is the shape of your gospel, your faith? In the end, it will all depend on what you think God is like. Who God is drives everything. So the truth is this, you have a doctrine. You need to make sure you're aware of it and work out if it's the correct one because you actually will act out of it every single day of your life. Your view of God is impacted by it. Your relationship with God is shaped by it. But you belong to a community that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So do not be content with a small God. Do not be content with a standoffish God or an unavailable God. Do not settle for a stoic, removed God who is unloving, who is conditional, and who is inaccessible. Do not stay in an unrelatable, uninterested, distant relationship. Instead, know this. God the Father sends his Son. God becomes God with us. It is kindness poured out on humanity, an active love that starts in relationship. Our Jesus then ascends and is crowned as our King and leaves us, the Holy Spirit, who remains to restore, to heal, to comfort, and to bring eternal fellowship. This is the Trinity. This is love. Your triune God is approachable. We are adopted by our Father, established by the Son, and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we get to partake in this life. I want to finish with the liturgical collect for Trinity Sunday that will be read in churches all across the world today. 
So let's stand as we say these words together. They'll be up on the screen. Blessed Trinity, in the relationship of the Godhead, you show us how to love, how to give unconditionally, and to reveal your truth. Call us to model that model of transforming love. This we ask through Christ our mediator. Amen. Just stay standing. I want to pray for you. God, we thank you that you are three in one. And God, if we don't understand that, it doesn't matter because you are. And God, we just thank you that how you are impacts who we are and shapes our relationship that we have with you. We thank you for God the Father, for the creator, for the beginning of all things. We thank you for God who is Jesus, the Son, who came to save us and restore us and build community and bring healing. We thank you for God as the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to teach us and to be with us. God, we thank you that in you is everything. And thank you, Lord, that we are not just invited, but there is a place for us at the table. That you say, I love you and I'm present and I'm here. So God, I ask now that you would settle within ourselves those things that we have limited about you. Those things that whether historically have been an area of hurt or have been an area of confusion or have been an area where we just can't line it all up. God, I speak into the hearts of the people in this room and ask that you make your truth present. Lord, as this um, doctrine moves from our heads to our hearts and from our hearts to our actions, may we know who we are in you. May we lean into that strength and the truth that is who you are. God, particularly just pray for people who have had a misrepresentation of God as a father. God, sometimes our earthly parents um, cannot demonstrate the fullness of who you are because we are just earthly parents. So God, I just pray for that transformation of our minds, that we would see you as beyond that word how we know it, but God is the Father, Creator, Beginner. Lord, I pray for people that have been burnt and have been confused and made weary of the work of the Holy Spirit and that name being used for things that are not what it is. God, I just thank you that you are the Holy Spirit who has come to comfort and to heal and be our advocate. God, I just thank you for the three parts that make the Godhead that you have chosen to share that with us. Lord, I just thank you that from this point we can change our thinking. We can grow an understanding of you. We can be the community to the community around us that so desperately needs this relational love. Mm. 